Hello and welcome to the latest RacingNews365.com Formula One podcast episode. My name is Balf Baines and by my side, as always, are Asian correspondent Michael Butterworth and editorial director Dieter Renken. Gentlemen, I never thought I would say this, but I missed you both. Uh, Michael, how are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. I'm just uh, yeah, counting down the days uh, till we get racing again in Baku, marking off the calendar day by day. Uh, the four week break is almost over. So uh, really looking forward to going back to some racing. And uh, Baku's a great track, always throws up some uh, surprising twists and turns. And it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, definitely. I've got the crosses on the on the boxes of the days as well, Michael. Uh, Dita, how has your week been? Well, I'm, I'm great. I just feel for Michael because, of course, um, being based in, in Beijing, he would this weekend past have been in Shanghai had it not been for the fact that the race was cancelled. So, yeah, I can sort of understand the, the withdrawal symptoms that he must be feeling if I've got them after not having been to a race for about three weeks, what, what it must be like for Michael. So, uh, yeah, I, I kind of feel for him. For the rest, I'm, um, I'm really looking forward to this week, this coming week. I'm actually going on Rally, rally Croatia, excuse me. And then after that, straight after the rally, I head for the UK to visit some of the teams. And then, of course, we got the WEC uh, race at Spa, which is 30 kilometers south of me, so I have to go. So even before we get to Baku, there is still plenty of activity for me. Yeah, we'll speak about something that happened in the WEC race uh, just gone. But for now, Michael, I want to go to you first. And we're hearing several reports of Max Verstappen being pushed out of Formula One. Yeah, I think being pushed out of Formula One is a, is a little bit dramatic, but uh, Verstappen is certainly not slow to voice his opinion on things that uh, that matter to him. Um, and he's he's said in recent weeks, well, he's he's said basically how unhappy he is and how he's not a fan of the the sprint races, the the sprint race structure that we currently have in Formula One. That Formula One's power brokers seem pretty wedded to the idea of doing more of. Uh, he says it's not in Formula One's DNA to hold sprint races, um, even though he's won three of the six of them that we've had so far so it's not as if he's just throwing his toys out of the pram because he's not uh, he's not being successful he's also said in the past that he's not really keen on the idea of uh, of longer seasons and again this is something that formula one it looks like we're going down the road of 24 25 race seasons he says he doesn't want to be on the road for for all this time and so if you know if formula one goes in a direction that he doesn't like maybe he'll what maybe he'll step away um i'm just wondering to to what extent that threat is real i mean he's under contract with Red Bull until 2028. Uh, it doesn't follow that he'll, that means he'll definitely still be there in 2028. I, I remember when Nico Rosberg retired in 2016 very suddenly, I think he was still contracted up till the end of 2018. So it doesn't nat naturally follow that he will still be in F1 by 2028 he will if he does see out that contract with Red Bull and decides to step away at the end of that he'll still only be 31 because of course he was so young he was 17 when he first started and first burst onto the scene but um, 2028 that will still be 14 seasons and close to 300 or probably more than 300 Grand Prix by the end of that so that would still be a very very long career he said that he doesn't want to drive into his 40s like Kimi Raikkonen did like Fernando Alonso is doing and so if he does quit the, the question 
question is where does he go because he's in the past he's raised concerns about racing on ovals so that rules out Indy that rules out NASCAR maybe endurance racing and WEC uh, would be more up his alley I mean we know that when he's when he's not racing he's always on the he's always on the sim you know he's doing the the virtual 24 hours of Le Mans he he famously you know he was belly aching earlier on this year about uh, there was a server issue and uh, he and his team lost a lot of time and uh, there was so a bit of a complaint that went viral there so I could see I could see him maybe wanting to do Le Mans for real um, but uh, yeah I, I think threatening to quit is uh, is is a little bit dramatic I, I don't think we're going to see Verstappen stepping away just yet from Formula One from my perspective, I mean, I spoke to Max last year in, in Abu Dhabi. I did an interview with him. And at the time, I said to him, you know, Max, you keep talking about this. You keep talking about possibly stepping away earlier than than we would expect you to. What would you do in the interim? And he said, I'd still go and drive. And that's why when Michael said just now that I don't think you'll stop driving. No, he will not stop driving. But uh, I think he may stop racing. He gets an enormous amount of fun of taking a car to the absolute edge. He's got the money. He can go and buy himself a Formula One car. He can get the adrenaline rush. He can go and rent the the, the circuit in, in Hungary, for example, arrive there with a Formula One car with a couple of mechanics, go and drive the car to the limit, do it all day or half an hour, whatever he wants to do, get his kick that way. And above all, he doesn't have the pressures. And I think this is what Max uh, doesn't enjoy about current Formula One. All the showbiz stuff, you know, he turned around and told Netflix that he didn't want to be on Netflix. He doesn't enjoy doing interviews. He doesn't enjoy press conferences. He's a purist when it comes to racing, and he just doesn't want to do all the peripheral stuff. And I think that's really what's driving it. He's a racing driver that just wants to race, which is uh, very rare to see in in, in this day and age. Uh, Dieter, you mentioned Netflix, and a character in Drive to Survive on Netflix is Gunter Steiner, who's just released a, a new book, hasn't he? Well, yeah, it's his first book. Um, I don't know who ghostwrited for him, but but certainly the guy's um, keyboard must have experienced a lot of wear and tear on three letters, namely F, O, and K, because uh, we did a quick um, a word count check the other day, and those three letters, which add up to a certain word, obviously, which I leave to the, the listener's imagination, uh, appear something like 282 times, which is on average once per page for the book. <laughs> so that gives you a sort of idea about it. Um, there's another W word which appears a few times. So it's typically unadulterated uh, Gunther. Um, I paged through it just to have a quick glance before I read it properly. And uh, one of the stories that, that sort of caught my eye was where he was complaining about, about Mick um, Schumacher last year having inflicted 700,000 bucks worth of damage on the car the slowdown lap in in um, uh, Suzuka, and he really banged on about that. And I'm, I must confess, I do agree with him. And I was rather bemused, shall we say, when I saw Toto Wolf coming out in in um, uh, protect and protection in support of of Mick Schumacher. Um, and at first glance, it appeared as though he's having a go at Gunter. But in real terms, we shouldn't forget that Mick is actually now part of the Mercedes family, and if they're going to wheel him out as a um, as an ambassador, then obviously they, they would want him untainted. So therefore, Toto would obviously um, step out to sort of support Mick and try and protect him. But at the flip side is, I totally agree with Gunter. That was 700,000 bucks worth of unnecessary damage. 
And, you know, if you work it out, let's assume uh, the average wage for an engineer is 50,000. You know, you, you, you're talking 15 engineers that effectively could have had a job had it not been for that because of the budget cap, all the accident damage comes out of that. So, and I think that we'll see more and more of this where a driver does really inflict some serious damage under the budget cap, there are going to be some issues. Yeah, he was also quite critical of Mick uh, when he'd had that those crashes in Saudi Arabia in, in, in qualifying where he couldn't take the start of the race. There was the crash in Monaco where the car split in two. Uh, we actually had Gunter on the podcast uh, last summer. During the summer break, we were speaking to him about that. That was, of course, before the Japanese Grand Prix. So it would have been interesting to hear his views after that as well. I must say, I haven't had a chance to read the book just yet, but it's clearly written in Gunter's very uh, inimitable style. And uh, it was very nice of him when he was on the podcast last year. Uh, he managed to uh, keep the swearing to a, a minimum, uh, but he doesn't af- appear to have afforded the same courtesy to his ghostwriter. So uh, I'm looking forward to getting into that. It's sure to be an entertaining read. And nor has the ghostwriter um, extended their courtesy to the readers, obviously. <laughs> yeah, quite so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking forward to getting my teeth into that book. Uh, uh, Dieter, in other news yesterday, you wrote a brilliant article about F1 stewards on the racingnews365.com website. Uh, yeah, very kind of you to say so. Thanks, Bell. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an issue which I've felt strongly about for quite a while. I've, in fact, been fortunate enough to have attended three um, Race Direct and Stroke Stewards conferences with the FIA over the past four or five years. And the one thing that keeps coming out of this is that they keep looking at precedents and whatever, uh, and that there's this list of tariffs and whatever. But the big thing is that ultimately the, the, the rule books are just so unwieldy that you, 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 you're ended up with 600 odd pages that these guys have got to look at and try and understand. And I sort of go back, um, 50 odd years. And uh, back in 1963, 60-odd years, that is, 63, the rule book was like four pages. And, you know, suddenly you have 600 pages. Who on earth can understand all these? And I remember when Bernie Eccleston was still in the chair, I spoke to Bernie about it, and he said, yeah, the problem is that the, rule, the rules have just been added to and added to over the years. And in the process, they've sort of got some conflicting clauses and this, that, and the other. And he, in fact, used the analogy of it's like an old creaky house where we've just papered over the walls as we've gone along. And we haven't actually stripped off the old paint and redone and re- renovated the house properly. And it's really time that the FIA got uh, and, and Formula One together sat down and and worked through the rule books and and wrote a completely new set of regulations technical sporting financial not so much it's only 45 odd pages and they're relatively new but in time they'll also probably grow and creep and become 80 pages and then 100 and then 120 because every time some team boss says ah but this is unfair or how do you read this or how do you interpret that and of course then they add another clause or another article yeah, Dita, I want, I want to stay on you and mention just race rotation as well. The F1 CEO Stefano Domincali is, is championing a race rotation scheme as well. Yeah, and I'm absolutely and totally against this. I was back in the, in the late noughties when uh, Bernie Eccleston introduced it for, for Germany. At that stage, we had two Grand Prix squabbling with each other about who should retain the rights. Uh, Michael Schumacher just retired. Both actually played to full capacity houses. Um, and then, of course, Michael retired. And they turned around and said, OK, now, now we can only have one Grand Prix left in Germany. Uh, what do we do? So let's rotate. Rather than have you squabbling, let's rotate. Uh, Nürburgring, odd years. Uh, Hockenheim, uh, even years. Uh, uh, Nürburgring's case had lasted about five years, and that was it. 
And the reason is pretty simple, that if they needed to do Formula One specific upgrades to the circuit, etc., and we're talking here about whether it's uh, spectator facilities or actually mandatory safety stuff, new crash barriers or whatever, if you have a race every year, you can write off that stuff over, let's say, a five-year period, and that's it. If you have a race every second year, you're into writing it off over 10 years. In the interim, you probably have to get some more barriers or more grandstands or whatever. So it's a never-ending debt spiral. And uh, and that's why I'm against it. And what ultimately happened is that Hockenheim was then saddled with a race every second year. There was no Nürburgring race. And Hockenheim pulled out. And today, where sort of 10, 15 years ago, Germany had two capacity races, today they have none. They had similar proposals for Singapore, Malaysia. They had uh, Barcelona, Valencia. And it just does not seem to work. And, you know, it's all very well to say, well, that gives everybody an opportunity of seeing a race. Well, in their, in their home country. Well, you only see it every second year. I mean, nowadays, um, international or cross-border travel is so easy that, you know, so what if, for example, um, Zandvoort loses their race? Yes, I feel sorry for the Dutch fans. But they can travel down to Zandvoort. The Germans travel to, to uh, sorry, travel down to, to Spa. The Germans travel to Spa. Um, you know, the, uh, if you do away with a race and you have one proper facility having a race every year it's a lot better than two with half a facility do you think we will be racing back in germany anytime soon dieter i don't think so no uh because fundamentally the hosting fees are that expensive um hockenheim has already said that they just can't afford it because it's funded by the the city of hockenheim which is when i say small in world terms it's small i think about 15 or twenty thousand inhabitants and they're carrying this enormous burden and, you know, the flip side is that when people stay there, they don't stay in Hockenheim, they go and stay in Heidelberg or one of these places, so they don't even get the full benefit of the tourism dollar. And then equally, the Nürburgring now belongs to a, a private individual. I believe he's a Russian uh, chemical magnet. And he's basically saying, you know, why should I put the circuit at risk at these sort of uh, horrific race hosting fees? So, no, I don't believe so. And equally, the French Grand Prix has gone for, for fundamentally the same reason. It's, it always boils down to money, it seems like, with, with this sport, which is not a great thing. Absolutely. Not a great thing. Absolutely. But <clears throat> not to end things on a downer, but a few days ago, Michael, there was a horror crash in Portimao. Yeah, so this was uh, on the sidelines, or uh, it was a support race, a Porsche Carrera support race for the uh, the WEC uh, six hours of Portimao, which took place over the weekend. Uh, during second practice uh, for the, uh, it was the Porsche Sprint Cup Iberia, um, a Portuguese driver called Alexandra Areia, uh, his car suffered a brake failure at the, uh, just by turn one and crashed, th- went through the catch fencing and actually landed in the spectator tribune, uh, which were very, very frightening scenes. Thankfully, there were no spectators is actually in that tribune at the time um but i mean it, it doesn't bear thinking about what what would have happened had this been a grand prix weekend for example and a formula one race is typically much better attended than a, than a world endurance championship race we do have uh, various rounds of the porsche super cup supporting uh, formula one events so it, it could very easily have happened that this would have uh, that this could have happened on a grand prix weekend um Araya, as it happens was absolutely fine uh, which is testament to obviously the strong safety features that we see not only in Formula One, which we've talked about a lot, but in all forms of motorsport these days. You know, that, that's very, very good to see. The FIA are set to investigate. That grandstand has been closed uh, until further notice, uh, whilst uh, obviously an investigation is going on. Um, so obviously, it could have been very, very much worse. 
thankfully, uh, nobody was hurt. Yeah, um, that that accident obviously was um, on social media far and wide, and it certainly looked very, very horrific. But I think the the positive side to this is that the FIA was on it immediately. Uh, they are investigating. They will do something. And the one thing that we must stress is that the FIA, from a safety perspective, I mean, it's just an imperative. Whenever they look at something, um, they they look at safety first, and thereafter they look at the technologies and whatever else. And uh, this will be just another one. Fundamentally, if you have a situation where you have an accident, uh, something good will flow from it. Uh, that that is not much consolation where there is a, a tragedy or a fatality, uh, as we had last week in a, a practice accident for, for the Rally Croatia. Um, a poor Craig Breen lost his life in that. And yeah, it's, it's one of these things. Motorsport will never be totally safe. Yes, you can strive for zero fatalities. You can strive for zero uh, serious accidents, but you'll never, ever quite achieve it. And... Um, uh, it's something that the FI is working very, very hard to get as close to perfection as possible. And yeah, perfection is is trying what we're looking for. But uh, no Formula One this weekend. But Michael Dieter and I will be back next week to preview the race in Baku. We'll see you then. 